I don't know what a peaceful moment looks like to you. If I were to ask you, what does peacefulness look like to you? Many of us would have different uh, pictures of what that would look like. Maybe it's a particular chair. Maybe it's a particular place in our world or country. Maybe it is a moment that you get to experience from time to time. Whatever it is, there is a moment that brings peace for you. But what every single one of those moments have in common are that the moments leave us, right? The peacefulness of moments always are peacefulness moments that end. For me, I think of a sunrise, but not just any sunrise. It's a sunrise at a beach. It's a sunrise uh, that comes up over the ocean for me. It is the sunrise, but more importantly, it is the sunrise that I get to witness every so often over God's vast ocean with a cup of coffee, which God also blessed me with. For me, it is also the very few mornings where there is stillness in the home. Before anyone wakes up, before any child gets up and cries or complains, it is the stillness of the morning, and yet again, the stillness with God's cup of coffee. Right? Every moment is filled with peace, but we all recognize that these moments end. In fact, we wish they would come more often, right? This morning, getting ready for church, Laura and I had to lock our bedroom door because we were tired of crying and complaining. And so we needed it all to go away. We needed peace. You've experienced this. And the thing about peaceful moments are they don't just end. They are always interrupted. They are always invaded. Sunrises end. Stillness will be interrupted. All of it comes to an end. But they are invaded moments. And so when we search for peace, we're on a never-ending run for it. We look for it. We ask for it. We search for it. But we can always rest assured that those moments will be interrupted. And we'll be looking for the moments. We'll be trying to create the moments by locking doors and kicking children out, whatever it takes. And it's here in John chapter 20 that I think we have a unique perspective of what it looks like for peacefulness to be interrupted. The situation is this. Jesus has been murdered. He has been buried into His tomb. Mary, among other women, approached the tomb to give Jesus His burial ritual. They were going to give His body or bring to Him His dead body Spices and oils and perfumes, a ritual. And when they arrive to the tomb, they find that the tomb has been opened and that where the body should be, it is not there. In John chapter 20, John records for us that Mary enters into this tomb and doesn't just find nothing, she finds angels sitting where the body should be. And it's here that Mary has a moment. And I think in a lot of ways, it was a peaceful moment interrupted by God's angels. 
Because you see, up until this moment, Mary had expectations. She knew what to look for. She knew what her purpose was. She went there knowing how this would play out. And it's completely interrupted with two angels, John records, sitting there gleaming like white, like lightning before her. And there, her peacefulness is interrupted. But more than that, her peacefulness is interrupted because her peace of nothing is now confirmed. We look for peace to calm ourselves, right? To find our centeredness, our balance. We look for peace because, well, We would like the fighting to stop, the arguing to quit. We look for peace that passes all understanding in the moments where we know what's going on, but it's here in John chapter 20 that peace of nothing makes everything. Nothing matters in this moment. Because her fear and her uncertainty, the trouble that she thinks she may be in, and the confusion of the moment, it matters here because nothing is there. And it's this piece of nothing that doesn't, that not simply marks the moment, it marks her life. And I want us to think about this piece of nothing. Because I am, for one, someone who needs to stop searching and one who needs to embrace the truth that a piece of nothing is everything. A couple of observations with our time this morning. And it's all out of John chapter 20, so that is the text that you can continue to refer to that Peyton read just a moment ago, but... Have you noticed in John chapter 20 that Mary's asked this question twice? First, by one of the angels, and secondly, by the risen Jesus. But she's asked the question, why are you crying? Now, at first glimpse and at first reading, this seems like a pretty absurd question to be asking a woman who goes to a tomb to find a dead guy and finds nothing there. And she's distraught, she is worried, she is uncertain about the moment. And yet the first question from some of the first words out of the angel's mouth is, Mary, why are you crying? It seems, well, natural for this moment to be filled with grief and crying. Why are you crying, she is asked. She has every reason to cry. But you see, nothing changes us. Nothing in the tomb changes everything that happens from this moment forward. Fear does not have to rule the day. You see, up until this moment... Fear ruled Mary's day. The moment she arrives at the tomb and the stone is rolled away and Mary looks in there and does not see what she expects, fear rules the day. Anxiety rules the day. 
Her worries and her troubles are now forefront of her thoughts and her emotions and worry and fear are now running the show for her. And so when the question is asked, why are you crying? It's not a chastising of the moment to understand that there's something bigger going on here. It is actually, I believe, a recognition that your emotions and your moment here are real. Notice, even when Jesus asks this question a few verses later after the angels, as Mary leaves the tomb to go to the disciples and Jesus meets her on the road, and Jesus asks the question, why are you crying? Notice that the question does not interrupt what has just happened three days prior. Jesus was still arrested, beaten, and murdered, and hung on a cross. The tragedy of the moment is still real. The grief of the loss of Jesus is real. But the question does something else. It doesn't ignore what has happened. It recognizes the new truth. The new truth that nothing is everything. And that the peace of nothing makes everything possible. Why are you crying? Now, this is a question I ask often. I have three daughters. I'm asking all the time, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And most of the time, I have no idea why we are crying. I cannot pinpoint the idea or the reasoning why there are tears and why there is complaining or whatever is going on. I don't understand, but it's a question I often ask. And it's a question that must be asked often into our lives because whether we are physically crying, we are often crying about the loss of our peaceful moments. Why did they have to get sick? Why did they have to get hurt? Why did this have to happen to me? All of these kinds of thoughts and things that you and I say, they are crying moments. And we're looking for things that make sense in our lives. We ask these kinds of questions. Well, why does this have to be like this? Why does this have to happen? Why is that person doing this? All of this are crying moments because of our expectations and the reason or how we expect things to come to us. And when those expectations are not met, we find ourselves wondering and anxious Worried, fearful, angry, upset. The question is not meant to chastise her. The question is meant to bring clarity to the nothing that matters. You see, fear doesn't rule the day when the tomb is empty. Too often. I allow my days to be run like the tomb is still full, is still filled with the dead body of Jesus. He has risen. Don't forget the nothing and the peace that comes from that nothing, church. 
Nothing matters because peace comes from that nothing and fear doesn't have to rule the day. Why are you crying? He is not here. He has risen just as He has said. He's enlightening us. The angel is enlightening us. He is reminding us. He is letting us know that the expectations of something are thrown out with the nothing. Why? Are you crying? So Mary goes along the way, and before Jesus has a chance to ask that question, Mary sees Jesus, Scripture says, verse 14. She turned around, she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, there are a lot of questions I want to ask about that statement alone. Did Je- does Jesus look differently? Is Mary just so distraught about the moment that she can't recognize maybe what is taking place? But whether or however that may be, she sees Him but doesn't recognize Him. See, the angel's first question of why are you crying doesn't necessarily fix it doesn't resolve the fear and the worry and the anxiety and the questioning of the moment. Mary's crying, though, turns into worship. The fear, the trouble, the worry, the pain, the uncertainty, the confusion, all of it changes when she goes from not recognizing Jesus to recognizing Jesus. You notice this, that Jesus, once again, changes everything. And it only takes death and the nothingness left in the tomb for us to go from fear and uncertainty to joy and worship. And I'm afraid too often... that I look and see Jesus and I don't recognize Him. Whether I'm at the grocery store, a gas station, whether I'm at work, or whether I'm in this place, that I look and I see Him, but I don't recognize Him. And so the big question I have for us this morning Are we here for a dead Jesus or a living Jesus? Did you come to a school cafeteria and a church to worship the dead or living Jesus because your answer matters? It does. How we respond and how we act, how we go about our days reflect a dead Jesus or a living Jesus. You see, Mary approaches expecting death and she gets life. And too often, and I am included in this, God's people walk and talk and live their days as if the tomb is filled with the dead body of Jesus when Jesus is asking us, why are you crying? 
Because too often we go down the path of our everyday lives, of the work and the play and all the family and all the church and everything that takes place. And you know what we do? Is we don't recognize Jesus before us. We don't recognize that death has been conquered and the tomb is empty and there is a piece of nothing right here before us. The question, and more importantly, your answer, are huge here. And again, I know, I know some of us are facing health issues. Some of us in here are grieving the loss of friends or family. Some of us are confused or uncertain about certain relationships. Many of us worry about our jobs. Worry about the future. Grow concerned about finances. Those situations and these real life living human being adulting type situations, they don't go anywhere. They're not washed away the tragedy of the cross still exists but you see all of it is redeemed in the nothing that is in the tomb the worry and the anxiety and the fear and the uncertainty and the anger that we build in our lives is all taken care of because nothing is there and that is everything because the dead jesus conquered the death that is in the tomb and he now lives. He is alive. And are you here for the dead one? Or are you here for the living one? Is your crying for the things that you thought were going to be? Or is your crying for the joy of the living Jesus that changes all things for all people? Has He affected you? I'm guessing at some level, in some way, at some even small place, you are here because Jesus means something to you. That's great. Is it the dead Jesus or the living Jesus? Are you here for the God who conquered the grave? And maybe this morning in particular we should ask, are you here for the living Jesus or the potluck? One will fill you now, but it will leave you empty. And one will fill you for the rest of your days because nothing matters. And that piece of nothing, and I love this in John chapter 20, that piece of nothing that comes from the nothing of the tomb comes in one word. I've never noticed it this way before, but as I was paying attention to John chapter 20 this week, I never noticed it quite like this. But Mary, on her way to tell the disciples the Jesus she sees but doesn't recognize, the moment, did you, have you noticed, the moment Mary recognizes Jesus comes from one word. She doesn't recognize Him. She's still worried and concerned and uncertain about the moment. And Jesus says to her, Mary. Church, your God knows your name. 
Your God knows you and where you've been and where you've come from and all the circumstances of your days. He knows your trouble. He knows what is bringing you down. He knows what is invading your peacefulness. He knows you by name. And when the God of nothing enters into the picture and Lord help us when we don't recognize Him, He speaks our names. He knows you. He cares for you. And in this moment, it takes her name. It takes a personal God to change it all for her. Her perspective, her moment. It's now not uncertain. It's not about anger. It's not about fear. It's not about crying in this moment. It is about the God who calls out to her. And you know what? That one word, that name that Jesus says to her, calling her by her name, doesn't fix it. I'm guessing Mary still questions the last three days of her life in particular, wonders why all of this happened. She still has emotions. She's still a human being. But in this moment, she knows that the peace of nothing is a powerful peace. She knows that the personal God who enters into the picture gives her a piece of nothing that is a powerful piece to her life. And here's the thing about Mary and every single one of us, and we can continue on with all the disciples that Jesus will interact with, even Thomas, doubting Thomas himself, when the piece of nothing is recognized, it is a powerful piece of our lives that go with us. The recognition that life wins, that newness conquers, that death is defeated is a peace that surely, as Paul puts it, surpasses all understanding and changes us. It is a peace worth caring. Are you carrying the peace of nothing? This past Wednesday, we, had, we were at the Hilton Garden Inn, and uh, we had conversation tables, and uh, Melissa and I were back with the kiddos. We had an extra large room this past Wednesday, and uh, so we had the kids in the back, and we were just kind of crowd controlling more than anything else. Uh, Melissa did better than I did, but um, we, were, we were playing and hanging out with the kids, and at one point, uh, Ellie Beal is wanting to finish this puzzle. There's this big floor solar system puzzle and she needs help with it and she wants to finish it. It is obviously important to Ellie to get this puzzle done. Now, I'm the worst puzzler there ever was. They frustrate me to no end. But Ellie needs help, so I go over and we're going to get on the floor and we're going to do this puzzle together. There are pieces of the puzzle all over the floor and I'm at least, you know, uh, aware enough that we need to start putting things in color groups. So Ellie and I start working on this solar system floor puzzle together, start making all these different pieces, putting them together, start organizing it, and start figuring out how we're going to do this because our goal now becomes get this floor puzzle done before the end of our time together this past Wednesday. And here's the cool thing that happened as Ellie and I were working on this floor puzzle is that others joined us along the way. No one asked for 
I didn't ask for help. Only Ellie asked for any more help. But other kids started joining us. And next thing you know, you know, we got like three minutes left. And I'm saying, we got three minutes. We got to finish this puzzle. And everyone's coming over. And we have this large group. And we are finishing up this puzzle. And we're putting all the different pieces together. And you know what? She got it done. She got that solar system floor puzzle done right at the nick of time. She accomplished it. And she did it because she had the pieces. But more importantly, she had the church. She had her friends. She had the help that comes from this. You know what? I know that there are tough days and there are hard days and there are days where you lock your bedroom door because you can't handle it anymore. But those are the days that we need to remember all the pieces that we have that make up life. One of those is the peace of nothing. But more importantly, we need to remember that we have each other. We have this community, this young church that strives to be what Jesus was to so many others, that strives to be neighborly in every sense of the word. This community that comes together, not for the dead Jesus, but for the living one. He has risen. And that piece of nothing, that's the piece of the puzzle that we can take with us everywhere we go and everything we do together. You may be searching for that piece. Well, I want to invite you to stop searching. It's there and there's nothing you have to do for it. The tomb is empty today. Still, It's still empty. And it's there for you. This living Jesus calls you into this place, but He calls you into something more. He calls you into a life that says nothing matters. If there's a need of any kind, I'm available in the back. I will stay away from the food for a few moments. But wherever you are, stand and please be in the presence of God and search for the peace of nothing. That's a powerful peace. Let's stand together and let's sing.